Welcome to another exciting episode of the Opportunity Zones podcast. Listen in as your host, Jimmy Atkinson, invites industry leaders to share their best OZ insights and investment strategies. From market updates to fund launches, policy news, tax mitigation strategies, and more, we cover it all here on the Opportunity Zones podcast. Alex Bethal is the executive chairman and managing partner at Revitate. And he's also, uh, his family is the co-owner of the NBA franchise, the Sacramento Kings. Uh, they have done a lot of development in opportunity zones and have had Senator Tim Scott out to one or two ribbon cuttings with the last couple of years, I believe. And, and uh, so Alex, we're, we're happy to have you here with us today uh, to speak on Hi. this topic of the new Congress and opportunity zones. And, and Brett Siglin has, uh, he's in Phoenix now, but he spent some time practicing law in Washington, D.C. So I thought, let's let's bring Brett in, too. He's a partner at uh, at Jennings Strauss Law Firm in Phoenix, Arizona. And that firm, and Brett in particular, has a lot of expertise with Opportunity Zones. So, Brett, welcome to you as well. Well, um, I touched on the high-level overview of the Opportunity Zone reform legislation as, as best I can. I, I kind of want to talk about that reform legislation get your thoughts on it uh, from both of you and also discuss maybe maybe other things on the table for Opportunity Zones in 2023 and beyond, how the policy may change. I was hoping that we would know the outcome of the midterm election by the time we got on stage here for this panel this afternoon, gentlemen, But it, it and, and we've got a pretty good idea now. Uh, we didn't see a red wave. We don't have a clear takeover of both houses of, of Congress um, by the Republicans, but it looks like we will have a Democrat-led Senate. We'll probably know um, in, with more certainty in the next few days here. Maybe it won't be until December 6th um, after the Georgia runoff. And it, it also looks like we do we are going to have, most likely, uh, still up in the air, the Republicans retake the House. Um, but let me let me turn to you first, Alex. What what do you expect from the outcome of the election? What are your thoughts on it? And and how might the makeup of Congress in the next session starting in January affect opportunities on policy? Thanks, Jimmy. Uh, it, it's a great question. And, and uh, I, I think the results of the election are emblematic of, of the divide, the even division that we have in, in today's political environment, and that it's uh, there's no major swings one way or the other. Uh, it, it would be great if there was clarity at this point. Uh, that said, I, I agree with you. It seems like at least one of the houses of Congress are most likely going to uh, change. And therefore, we'll be in an era of, of divided government. And in an era of divided government, the the window of legislative actions becomes narrower because by definition, both sides or, or a... Uh, a bipartisan consensus is going to be really important to get something something passed through uh, the House, the Senate, and and uh, finally the the White House and the administration. So therefore, uh, programs like the Opportunity Zone legislation uh, do rise up in importance because it, it is bipartisan. It's bicameral since its very beginnings, uh, and. Uh, we do believe that those bipartisan, bicameral uh, roots are going to shine through, uh, not just in this lame duck session, but in the years to, to come as the, the 
the the uh, more one-sided legislative acts become less likely to get passed. And Brett, let me turn to you now. Let's get your thoughts on on the midterm. Were you, were you surprised by the the results or lack thereof? And and how might that uh, outcome impact opportunity zones going forward, either in the lame duck session here or or in twenty twenty three? Yeah, thanks, Jimmy. Uh, again, great to be a part of this here today. Um, yeah, I say I'd say I'm most surprised by the lack of results. You know, I've been kind of pouring over the results uh, starting last night and this morning, kind of in preparation. And uh, like you said, I think there's a pretty pretty good shot here that the Republicans will take control of the House, and it looks like the Democrats are going to maintain the Senate. Uh, I think what's what's important to maybe point out is that. As far as I can tell so far, all the sponsors and co-sponsors survived. So, you know, when the Opportunity Zones Transparency Extension Act was introduced back in the spring in each, each of the House and the Senate, uh, I, think, I think everybody survived. Either, either they weren't running you know, as a senator. I know uh, Tim Scott won handily. Cory Booker is still safe. You know, Mark Warner, Chris Van Howell, and Todd Young, I think they all are still, uh, you know, on board in the Senate. And then... You know, the only change that I saw, I think Ron Kind of Wisconsin uh, decided not to run. So, you know, he'll be here, you know, for the next few months. But I'm wondering if maybe that'll that'll give us a shot of of, of getting this through in the next two months. I mean, nobody has a crystal ball. Right. But um, you know, I think you've touched on this with with others throughout the day and in, in, in preceding um conferences and it's certainly at the uh, opportunity zone expo we we, co- we were on a panel together last month nobody really knows whether this is going to squeak through uh in this lame duck session but i i'd like to think there's still maybe a chance here um especially knowing you know ron kind is going to kind of bow out maybe you know maybe he can do something to make a move you know before uh the house turns over yeah you mentioned a lot of the uh supporters of opportunity zones are are, are still around but uh Possibly one of its biggest detractors is Senator uh, Ron Wyden from Oregon. He's chair of the Senate Finance Committee, and and he's been very critical of Opportunity Zones and has uh, ruffled a lot of feathers about it, uh, sending out letters demanding responses from a handful of qualified opportunity funds earlier this year. And he did win re-election in, uh, in Oregon last night. I don't know if that might impact anything or not, but I just wanted to, to point that out that we still have uh, Senator widen uh to i wouldn't say contend with but maybe we can we can soften his view of opportunity zones alex what what are your thoughts on what the industry needs and and how we could talk with senators and and congressmen and congresswomen who may not love opportunity zones the same way that a senator cory Booker, booker or a <laughs> senator tim scott may may appreciate it and, and certainly like the members of our community here today uh, what can we do to, to change the minds or or influence policy going forward as a, as an industry. Uh, well, specifically, I, I think communicating with policymakers and, and politicians and, and letting the voice be heard. I, I think that's number one in in, in uh, government one hundred and one is is elected leaders are beholden to their constituencies. So, to the extent that they hear from uh, people in their districts and people in their states in support of this initiative, then that does make an impact because they are inherently uh, and this, uh, by necessity responsive to uh, to their constituents. Uh, more broadly than that, I think this, the, the good news and the good stories that are coming out of Opportunity Zones and, and the actual work that's being 
done on the ground is, is really meaningful and it's really important. Uh, it took a little while for this pro for this incentive to be utilized due to uh, the regulations uh, being written and then being in, implemented and, and by the nature of this program, it's geared towards development. So there's a natural lag in terms of seeing tangible results. But now we're at the stage, you mentioned Senator Scott came out for ribbon cutting for one of our projects. We now have three projects that have, that have completed. We're not the only ones. We started early in the space, but there are many other fund managers and developers who have projects that are coming online. And it's becoming very tangible for all stakeholders to see the economic and the social impact that these developments and these projects can, can have in a community and the jobs that get created and, and the increase in Wi-Fi and broadband and uh, parks and, and all the advantages that come with, with proper urban development or proper development in lower income areas. That is getting the notice of uh, the media in some cases, the, the local politicians, especially at the municipal level, uh, investors are have shown a tremendous uh, receptivity to this program. So it's that grassroots storytelling, and you do a great job on, on your podcast, Jimmy, of getting the word out about the benefits of Opportunity Zones, where it's not just a, a great tax incentive for investors, but it's actually doing the the intention of the program, which is bringing private capital to historically lower income areas and creating impact. Brett, what, what, I don't know if you have anything else to add there. Alex did a great job answering that question, but but any any other anything else that the industry can do to kind of help its own cause and advance the uh, the opportunity zone policy? Absolutely. No, I, I mean I I know you had John Skiaretti on earlier from Novogratic. They've certainly done a phenomenal job over the last three years. You know, lobbying, getting the word out. Kind of keeping people informed, you know, uh, working with Treasury. You know, there's there's certainly others out there doing that. I think the more of us that stay active, especially in the coming months, uh, the better. You know, I'm still, uh, you know, I'm I'm still hopeful. You know, that this was always a bipartisan uh, concept from from the outset, and and the same, you know, the same people that, you know, kind of kicked this into gear four years ago. They're still around. They're still sponsoring. We've, we've built up a lot of, uh, I think, good rapport in, in, you know, in the early Biden years here. You know, there, there's certainly less negative uh, messaging out there than than there was, say, two years ago. Um, and, you know, you're right uh, about Senator Wyden, but I, I, I think, uh, you know, his, his message is toned down significantly, I think, this year, too. So, so you know, I, I, maybe, you know, maybe the biggest challenge is it's just not getting enough attention certainly you know from the biden administration i mean obviously there's there's lots of other priorities right now and this is this is kind of a small piece of a of a huge puzzle but um you know i think the more you know the, the message gets out it is a positive message you know, i think i think we've got pretty pretty high hopes even if it doesn't you know pass through this uh you know this next few months ideally it'll happen early in 23 you know yeah you know, i've heard you know that republicans if they control the house maybe they want it they want us to be their bill next year or or maybe you know maybe they want to just get this uh get this out of the way and start clean you know hopefully uh, in 2023 yeah it's interesting we really haven't heard anything from the federal government the administration in particular i should say um the white house about opportunity zones since uh biden took office uh back in january of uh 
what year was that? January of uh, of twenty one, um, almost two years ago. Two years. Um, but was, it, also, it's it's interesting to note that um, two and a half years ago, we weren't sure who the Democrat nomination for president was going to be. And I was worried and I was telling people, hey, what if if Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren win the candidacy for the Democrats and ends up advancing to the White House? We we could be in in danger of possibly unwinding the entire TCJA and, and maybe opportunity zones go by the wayside entirely as well. So the fact that uh, Joe Biden, a little bit more moderate, uh, advanced to the White House eventually two years ago. And he basically his his office has been silent on opportunity zones since he won election uh, two years ago. Uh, I think maybe that's been good news, although, you know, I'd kind of like to see uh, some sort of advancement of the program come about. So that's why we're we're talking about at least we do have this reform legislation that's been advanced in the House and the Senate introduced bicamerally back in April by both chambers and sponsored by the same co-sponsors that co-sponsored the original Investing in Opportunity Act way back when uh, that eventually became packaged as part of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that led to Opportunity Zones. I want to ask both of you, uh, what are your overall impressions and thoughts of the OZ reform legislation? And do you wish it had anything more or less? Or, you know, what, what are some of your hopes for it if, if it gets redrafted potentially? Alex, I'll start with you. Uh, well, definitely we're very supportive of the, of the pending legislation and, and are cautiously optimistic that, that it will receive a vote. Uh, before the end of the year. Uh, uh, the provisions in it are um, fund-friendly, investor-friendly, and also are reforming some of the criticisms with the high-income uh, high zones, as you mentioned, the sunsetting of those, the, the reporting requirements, were, which were always supposed to be part of the, um, the legislation, but got stripped out due to the reconciliation process in which the, uh, the, the original law was passed. So it's, it's, it's kind of bringing back uh, some of the original intent. Uh, so we see this as a modest reform effort, something that uh, both sides have a lot to like um, and, and are confident that it's, a, it's another milestone if it were to be passed that cements the opportunity zone legislation as, as, as part of our, of our tax code that is resist, resilient across administrations, across parties, across time. And, and, and really just the first step of what we believe could be a more expansive uh, bill in future Congresses. And in, in some of those areas, we'd like to see uh, this tool uh, be, uh, be utilized for operating businesses. That's something that uh, people have done, uh, but there have been some obstacles and restrictions that have prevented the, the ability for operating businesses to take advantage of this incentive. And there's some really smart ideas on how to uh, create a better alignment uh, for, for that category of business. Um, and, and, and also uh, a focus on areas of, of deeper need. So there's 8,700 opportunity zones across the country. They come in all shapes and sizes based on income. Um, they range from deep poverty to areas that are already experiencing economic revitalization. And we, we think this tool can be used uh, as an important lever in, in addressing some of the areas of, of deepest poverty. So uh, most of those Z dollars have been, have been allocated to 
probably the middle income and above within the OZ bound. And, and if there can be greater enhancements that help facilitate development in, in the lowest income areas, we think that could be beneficial for uh, all stakeholders involved. That's that's great. Uh, well, I want to I want to get back to you on that and, and get get some more specific thoughts. Drill into that a little bit more in a minute. But I want to turn to Brett now and get his take. Brett, Brett, what's your impression of the Opportunity Zone reform legislation that's uh, that that hit the floor uh, back in April? And it, it, if it gets changed at all, I mean, what what's on your wish list for to how to improve it? Yeah, like most people, I think it's generally positive. Uh, I think, you know, the timing now is is especially good. You know, we've talked about this before, Jimmy, that, you know, there's usually an uptick in activity towards the end of the year. And ideally, if this, you know, if this could get extended here in the next few months, that might help us with, uh, you know, increased activity in the fourth quarter. I, I think it's great that, you know, we, we get the, you, you know, investors would get that extended deferral period. You know, it even relates back to those that would have invested in 2021 and keep the 15% step up for six years. And then, of course, anybody that gets in by the end of next year, we get the 10% step up. All positive for really, you know, everybody across the board. Um, you know, I also think, you know, it's, it's pretty obvious there needs to be some reporting component. People have been talking about this for four years. It really should have been part of the initial legislation uh, and, and, and was left out for whatever reason. But I, I would just say, you know, one warning, you know, we've like we've talked about before too, uh, at the Phoenix Oz Expo, there's, there's been a lot of mistakes made in, in filing, um, you know, both on behalf of funds and on behalf of investors. And uh, there's been quite a lot of activity with, you know, with the Treasury sending out letters to, to QOFs that, you know, filed their returns incorrectly, say for the 2019, 2020 year. I am concerned about uh, you know what those reporting requirements will do, especially to the smaller sponsors out there that maybe aren't as you know don't have the most sophisticated CPAs. They're they're more likely to make mistakes. You know I think um, there probably is consensus that this could consolidate the industry somewhat because uh, you know the the uptick in in keeping track of of those uh, those filings that you know filing the eighty nine ninety six properly um, is going to be more of a burden. I think you know, if this legislation passes. So that's one thing. Uh, and then the penalties too are, are pretty severe. Um, so those who, uh, you know, fail to uh, file correctly could be subject to daily penalties of $500. Uh, you know, they could, I think it could go up to 50,000 depending on the size of your fund. So it's, it's really uh, nothing to, uh, to shake your hand at. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be serious uh, if these, you know, if these reporting uh, requirements, the way they were set forth in the, in the initial, initial legislation are, uh, are enacted. Um, I think the other thing that, you know, concerns me though, too, is the early sunset for some of these, you know, high income census tracts. I mean, whether we like it or not, uh, a lot of, a lot of investment has been in, you know, some, you know, like the, the very most desirable of the 8,700 plus opportunity zones. And um, yeah, I'm concerned about the political backlash that that could create in the upcoming year or two, or even lawsuits. And, um, you know, it's also going to, it's going to create opportunities for, for governors and their staff and others at the local level to designate new zones. But that's, you know, that's going to be inherently political process too, as, as it always is. So I think that's something to kind of be, you know, forewarned about. No, for sure. And um, yeah, Brett, a lot of the thoughts you just shared uh, you shared with me uh, a short while ago when we recorded 
our episode of the Opportunity Zones podcast, which hasn't aired yet, uh, but it's going to air sometime in the next few weeks. So be on the lookout for that. I uh, really appreciate your thoughts here today as well, Brett. Um, wanted to talk about um, you know, the 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 thought of this reform legislation maybe being the first step in getting this opportunities on policy extended permanently at some point. Do you think that's um, possibly on the table? And, and um, you know, what, what else might be in a version 2.0 of opportunity zones if, if we are looking at, you know, a post reform legislation passing period of, of, of a new Congress in 23 and 24, what, what else might be on the table for opportunity zones going forward? Best case scenario, let's say that the legislation does get passed before the end of the year. Alex, I'll, I'll let you go. Um, well, I, I, w- I wish I had the ability to uh, uh, wave a magic wand and, and write the law uh, the way that I would want. It doesn't work that way, unfortunately. And we do have uh, two parties and two congresses and a, a really important think tank in EIG, actually, who's, who's spending uh, a lot of time and, and, and has provided leadership on this issue since the, the very beginning. So I think it's going to take into consideration all of the stakeholders, uh, whether they be the municipal level, the state level, uh, obviously the investors and fund managers, and and then the lawmakers in Washington D.C. and there'll be a, a tug of war. Uh, I, I kind of previewed some of the areas that I think will be important in in Opportunity Zones 2.0, being uh, improving the incentive as a tool for operating businesses, improving the tool to focus on uh, the communities most in need. I do. Th- think that having uh, more conformity around the country where there's a variety of, of um, conforming measures within the states, if there can be, um, and, and that is our federal system. So each state has its own right to uh, conform in their own way within their respective tax codes. So some states like California have chosen not to conform at all, which given that the state of California is the largest uh, opportunity zone, has produced the most amount of capital for opportunities on investment and, and also received a fair amount as well. Uh, we certainly see the opportunity to uh, enhance that activity, enhance the size of, of uh, OZ dollars uh, in, the, in the universe if California were to pursue uh, some form of conformity, even a limited conformity. So those are some of the things that are top of mind, but uh, with more time and a couple of years to, to work on it, I'll, I, I can come back here and, and give you some more detailed thoughts. Well, that'd be great. Um, that, that'd be tremendous if we could if we can get you back on in a, in a year or so to give us an update there. Brett, I don't know if you had any thoughts on on that question or not. Yeah, no, I mean, um, I, I think I think the, you know, the most important thing would be to uh, you know, maybe have some flexibility on those uh, penalties uh for for failure to report especially if it's not intentional uh maybe give some more guidance on you know how to to file uh you know the 8997 properly um and and, you know i guess the other thing that comes to mind you know treasury has been extremely flexible from the outset with um you know giving giving sponsors more time especially the, the working capital safe harbor comes to mind you know we've been talking a lot about that recently, you know, maybe, maybe additional flexibility there in the coming years, especially uh, as difficult as it is now to raise capital. I mean, things have really changed Um, and maybe, and maybe finding, you know, there was, there's some great relief during COVID 
that uh, that was passed, and you know maybe something like that in the in the coming months, in light of the sort of the pending recession we're in. All right, excellent. Well, uh, let's let's get to some Q and A to move on with the questions here now. Uh, Let's see. I've got. Uh, I'll, I'll address this one to to Brett. Um, I haven't heard much about the dynamism fund. Could you provide a summary of the expected impact of this piece of the legislation? What do you know about the community dynamism fund, Brett? Yeah, it's um, a billion dollars for state and community uh, to assist state and local governments with technical assistance, capacity building, and uh, financing support. I, I appreciate the question because I think you're right. Nobody's really talking about it, but um, you know it's it's a great uh, way to potentially uh, you know serve underserved communities and uh, you know provide ability for projects in some low income areas to to get additional funding. Now, Alex, maybe you can a- answer this next one here for the governors who are going to lose some opportunity zones. They'll get the opportunity to nominate replacement OZs. What advice or suggestions would you offer to those governors? To the governors, a great question. Uh, it's going to be difficult to avoid politics, I think, in, in that. And and the governors, uh, in their duties, should really look at the, the needs of the communities versus the needs of their donors. Excellent. Um, let's see here. Brett, this one's for you. You mentioned a minute ago lawsuits that might occur from the backlash uh, what kind of lawsuits were you were you hinting at there exactly? <laughs> yeah, I hate to open the door to that, but uh, yeah, I, I think anyone who's who's affected by um, you know a uh, an early sunset would certainly uh, be pretty vocal about it. I mean, the the good news is uh, there there is um, you know this this new category for a pre existing trader business. So if I'm a sponsor and I'm I'm actively engaged and and you know participating in a qualified opportunity fund or QOZB that's in one of these designated tracks, then, you know, as long as I've spent $250,000 or I've put forth some sort of uh, private placement offering or registered with the SEC, then I'll have, a, you know, a pretty good shot. And, you know, one could even argue that those that got in early will have a huge competitive advantage in those, uh, you know, really hot census tracks. But, you know, I'd be concerned about those uh, others, you know, developers and others out there that, are getting pinched out, you know, say somewhere in Silicon Valley or Long Beach or some of these really hot markets that are kind of, you know, there's been there's been a lot of changes since 2010 when the tracks when the data was collected and we're we're going off the 2020 census track data now. Um, I think there's also potential for uh, you know, just to, you know, I don't know about lawsuits, but maybe just backlash at the local level, you know, knowing how this process may play out. Uh, in, in designating new zones. Good, good answer there. Um, ne- uh, two more questions and then we'll cut you guys loose. we got another uh, 60 to 90 seconds here. Uh, this question is a little bit pessimistic. I think it comes from somebody who's been disappointed at the election results, it sounds like. Um, this person says, it seems like this election result might embolden Democrats in Congress to push back on anything that even hints at a tax break for the wealthy. Is there a chance that Democrat overperformance in the midterms last night has tanked any potential OZ extension. That's, that's a, that's a tough one. Alex, I'll let you take that one. (laughs) Thanks, Jimmy. Appreciate that. (laughs) No softball. Um, I think it's too early to tell. There is going to be different leverage points and and different uh, um, 
different biases in the horse training uh, between now and the end of the year. And the fact of the matter is we do believe that Congress is going to change hands. So therefore, uh, if the Democrats in the congressional, in, in the House, want to have a say in what the extension looks like, this, it, this is still their best chance in, in, in having a voice on uh, and an input in, into it. So we'll see. All right. Last 30 seconds. Need a quick answer from both of you. What percentage chance do you give the legislation of going through? We'll say before the end of this year. That wasn't part of the question, but I'll put a time parameter on it. Before the end of this year. Alex, you, you go first. <laughs> Uh, it was 65 as of yesterday. Now it's probably 58. All right. And Brett? I'm going to say something closer to 45. All right. I'm going 65. I'm the most optimistic one here. Uh, so that's that's great. Um, gentlemen, been a pleasure speaking with both of you today. Alex and Brett, thank you so much. And uh, we're going to move along with the program, but appreciate your time today. Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you, Brett. Thank you, Jim. And uh, oh, and Alex, uh, have have fun. Enjoy uh, your event later this evening. Good luck out there. Oh, great. Appreciate it. Thank you. We're having our social impact summit this afternoon. Fantastic. Good luck out there. That's it for our show today. A huge thank you to you, our listener. If you like this episode, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The Opportunity Zones podcast is produced by Opportunity DB. You can access our show notes by visiting opportunitydb.com forward slash podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode.